International Week. We've been meeting authors who are participating in this year's International Literary Festival. And I'm delighted to be joined in the studio now by Matthew Polly, who's best-selling author and martial arts expert. So, Matthew, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me on. So, we're also on Facebook Live. Um, if you go to my Facebook page, Karen on RTHK Radio 3, you can see as well as hear Matthew there. So, Matthew, for listeners who don't know about you, tell us about you and your background. Uh, well, when I was growing up, I was one of those skinny kids who got picked on. And the, the change moment in my life occurred when I was 13. I saw Enter the Dragon mm. with Bruce Lee, and he suddenly became my hero. So I ended up studying the martial arts, starting very, you know, in the small town that I grew up in. Uh, but when I got to college, I ended up going to the Shaolin Temple in China. Wow. And the Shaolin the Temple. The Shaolin Temple in Hunan. Wow. And so I studied... When you were 13? No, when a little oh, older. Oh, when you were in college. That's right. When I got to college, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I lived there for two plus years studying Kung Fu with the monks. And that really launched my martial arts career. But also I ended up writing a book about it. And so that launched, launched my writing career as well. So... What is it like living in a Shaolin temple? I mean, it must be a very different life from growing up in the U.S. It is, certainly. I, well, I, at that time, it was the early 90s. I was the only American there. Um, so it was total immersion. Um, and there was no TV, no movies, not really any girls. So all we did was martial arts all day long. So you would wake up in the morning, do mar kung fu in the in the in the evening and the afternoon so it was eight hours a day of kung fu all and day long did you love it i mean were you fulfilling kind of a lifelong dream by going there it was a total fantasy so i loved every minute of it they would often the monks would tell me matt you should slow down really oh wow <laughs> you're gonna burn out so um no i was very i was super dedicated and it, it was like it was like a fantasy to do kung fu with the the best martial artists in the world all day long and how do you go from spending two years there to going back to so-called normal life it was actually a hard transition it felt like coming back from war or something it's uh it, because uh, you when you live in a totally different culture your your perspective changes and so coming back i had difficulty fitting in eventually i did and integrated the two parts of myself but um i there are periods where i really do miss the purity of that period. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever gone back to do like, do they do things like retreats or stuff like <laughs> I that? Did. I did. I, I went back. Uh, it was like 10 years after I'd been there. And I felt like one of those people who goes back to their high school. Mm -hmm. um, and I was telling them I did this, but they're all young now. And they, they, Oh, so they don't, do, so they don't have any of like the old masters who's still well, there or not really. So what happened was most of the old masters from that period ended up emigrating uh, and opening schools in Europe and America. Uh, so there weren't really, a, there were one or two of my old masters there, but there were a lot of young kids who were like, we don't care we, about we, you. We don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah. You're not important to us. So I felt like this old alumni uh, oh, at his funny. high school. That's funny. So let's talk about Bruce Lee. I mean, I think we all feel like we know him so well through his movies, right? right. But actually, we know very little about him. So um, why do you think so little has been written about him? Uh, you know, I think what's interesting is that um, Bruce Lee died before Enter the Dragon came out. And so his fame was totally posthumous. Um, and so what was written about him was a bit of the fantasy uh, based on the characters he played in movies as opposed to who he was as a human being. And so I think in a weird way, he became this iconic figure but because he wasn't alive, we didn't know much about who he was as a person, as in a human being. Mm. And what I tried to do in the book is dig underneath the myths and get to sort of who Bruce Lee was as a man. But I think in a weird way, people like 
like the icon. <laughs> I think so too. I but, mean, it's what's not to like, right? Yes, he was. He's the he's the total um, tough guy, can't be beat, extremely handsome, extremely charismatic, and he was really the first person to represent a kind of uh, heroic masculine Chinese American figure on film, and yeah. so that's really what he's known for. That that's really um, groundbreaking because most Asian men in film up till then and you know even today us are kind of sexless emasculated skinny the funny guy the fall guy that's know. right the guy who does tech yeah the guy who does tech exactly yeah, yeah. and so bruce lee it, what was interesting is that that was a result of world war ii where they started emasculating uh asian males in film i think it was a reaction to what occurred with the pearl harbor etc um and so bruce lee even at that time was really angry about the fact that the only roles were for how Boys when he worked in Hollywood. And so he ended up having to come back to Hong Kong before he could play a kind of heroic figure. And he did so well, he was so popular that Hollywood finally came calling and took a risk that American audiences and Western audiences would watch a Chinese hero. Mm. But even his best friends said, look, Bruce, it's a white man's world. Like, right. you're never going to be cast as the hero. And so what I admire about him is he never gave up. Mm. So, but he, even though he was kind of the exception, he, he was... He was. He, he didn't spawn a whole genre of Bruce Lee's, right? No, that's what's interesting is the door, he, he cracked the door open and it shut behind him. Yeah. Uh, and I think if he had lived longer, he'd have been able to push it open uh, further. But yes, it took 20 years until Jackie Chan became the next uh, Chinese American, Chinese Right. male star yeah so he he did die very young he was what 32 32 yeah. when he died yes so ha tell us about how you went about res researching your book who did you talk to and wh where'd you go and what did you do yes yeah, so you know the first thing i did is read everything that was there about bruce lee and then i interviewed essentially everyone who was still alive and so for six months i came to hong kong and lived here and interviewed raymond chow who was the head of Golden Harvest. Um, I interviewed Betty Tingpei, who uh, he, she had a special relationship with Bruce. Um, and I interviewed Robert Chua, who started Inter uh, Enjoy Yourself Tonight, the TV show that mm -hmm, Bruce Lee yeah. appeared on many times. And, and uh, many of his childhood classmates no one had ever talked to before. Oh. Uh, and it was very interesting because Bruce was very rambunctious as a child. Was he? He was. And uh, he, he he caused a lot of fights. And so... <laughs> okay, so I guess it's fitting that he ended up where he ended up. He did. He was, he was, he was a scrapper mm -hmm. as a kid. So um, that's actually the reason he got into martial arts. Did he start learning martial arts when he was a kid? No. So his father, um, his nickname as a child was Never Sit Still. Okay. <laughs> and they probably would have put him on Ritalin if he had been born later. Um, so his father tried to teach him Tai Chi, but Bruce wouldn't. Too slow. <laughs> too slow for Bruce. Um, but he ended up, uh, he, he started studying Wing Chun when he was 16. And the reason why was because he lost a street fight to a boy who was better than him. And Bruce was so competitive, he hated to lose. And he found out that this boy studied Wing Chun under Ip Man. And so Bruce Lee said, well, I'll study that and then I'll be better than this other kid. Mm, okay, so that competitive streak. Yeah. So in the end, at the end of all your research and then, and then your writing, what did you come up with? Who was he? I mean, if you had to summarize him as a person. Yeah, I think the, the fascinating discovery was the fact that he had been a childhood actor here in Hong Kong. And so he was really an actor who fell in love with the martial arts and merged those two things together. Um, and 
And if you understand him as an entertainer and a performer with this great passion for martial arts, that's why he succeeded as as a movie star kung fu artist, is he was able to, to, to encompass both sides. And I think that's interesting just also because as a person, he was Eurasian, and he never quite fit in either here in Hong Kong or in America. So he was always trying to bridge the gap between worlds. Mm, exactly. And how did you personally feel about him once you'd done all this research? Was he still this icon that you looked up to? Well, I, I, when you spend this much time with someone, you start to feel really close to them. So I felt like he was almost like a brother. And so when I'd find some part in his life where he was making a mistake, I would be like, Bruce, don't do that, <laughs> as if he were still alive. Um, but I, I, I have to say my admiration for him grew because I knew it was difficult what he'd done, but I didn't realize how hard it was for a Chinese male to succeed in Hollywood in that era. And so what he accomplished was really quite tremendous. And the fact that he was a flawed human being makes his successes even more impressive. Mm. You know, we of course, we know he's a master in the world of martial arts, but he also became a pop icon, which not everybody can do. I mean, you can be a great martial arts master and actor and nobody really thinks about you except for those films. How did, how did, what was it about him that he could cross that boundary and become so popular with so many people? Well, I think part of it was because he didn't really fit in anywhere. So he appealed to different groups. Uh, he also had a real philosophical side, which I think uh, has lingered on, uh, you know, the phrase, be like water. I was just going to ask that the next question. Yes, yeah. be like water has become sort of a signature. And of course, he didn't invent that. That goes back to Taoism 4,000 years ago. But um, Bruce Lee really sort of popularized the, the idea of the martial arts as a spiritual and not just a physical activity. And I think people really engage with him not only on the sort of physical charisma, charm, good looks, and skill, but also the kind of intellectual side that he, he brought with him, which is rare for martial artists. Yeah, yeah you don't see them as, as particularly intellectual. No, they're not philosophical types, usually. <laughs> where, where did that come from, that sort of philosophical side of him? Um, I think it, a couple things. One, he came from a, a well-to-do family, so he was very well-educated, uh, which is also unusual amongst martial artists who tend to uh, come from uh, harder backgrounds. Um, but also, he... I think he really struggled with his own demons, particularly his own anger and his hyperactivity. And so in a way he was searching for answers for himself um, and how to become calmer, to be more like water because mm, okay. he was really a fire element. And so I think when he said, be like water, he was talking to himself. Right. I wonder what he would think of, uh, you know, the Hong Kong protesters who've adopted be water as really their MO. I, I mean, first he'd be flattered because anyone who, who was into what he was doing, he would have really liked. Interestingly, in life, he was apolitical. He never spoke about the Vietnam War or any of the sort of topics that were going on. But as a person, what was interesting about Bruce is he, he despised authority that was used in improperly and he always was rebelling against it like he rebelled against his father against directors etc so i think his sympathies would always would have been on the rebel side hmm, interesting so uh, of course one uh, thing that happened very recently his his whole image and and his reputation came under the spotlight this summer because he was portrayed in a scene in quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood and there was a lot of discussion online and you know on um entertainment programs um about how he was portrayed and his daughter actually also spoke spoke out uh, against how he was portrayed maybe you, you can tell listeners about the scene and then what you thought of the portrayal 
Right. So there's a scene where he's on the the, the TV set, uh, Green Hornet. He's playing Cato, and Brad Pitt's character is just this lowly stuntman. Uh, and they have Quentin Tarantino has Bruce sort of spouting off about how he's better than Muhammad Ali, and he's such a tough guy. And Brad Pitt's sort of disgruntled, and Bruce essentially challenges this lowly stuntman to a sparring match, and Brad Pitt gets the better of it. Uh, and so... Uh, I was actually asked about it uh, by a number of uh, publications, and my response was, of course, Quentin can make any movie he wants, but the portrayal was a caricature, and it wasn't particularly fair to Bruce, who, while he could be overly confident at times, was basically a thoughtful guy and would never have challenged some stuntman and got him fired for it. And also, more importantly, wouldn't have lost. Right, he wouldn't have lost. <laughs> so, That's a more important thing. So yeah. it made him into a kind of blowhard, and it's unfortunate because... It, you know, Bruce is such an iconic figure for the Asian American community and Asians everywhere. To portray him that way, I thought was unfortunate. Mm, okay, all right. So uh, we should talk about the Lit Fest since that's why you're here. That's right. <laughs> uh, you are going to be doing an event uh, tomorrow, right? That's right. Yes. Tomorrow. Tell us what what to expect from that. Well, um, tomorrow, one thirty at the Fringe Theater. Yeah. Um, I will be uh, speaking about Bruce Lee and trying to get uh, give a sense to people of who he was as a man and as a human being and get underneath the myths and discuss sort of uh, what I discovered about him and also why he's still an important figure, not only as sort of, you know, an icon for the protest movements, but also someone who really changed the way um, culture worked and bridged. He was really the first figure to bridge East and West culturally. Mm. What, what do you think are the most common myths or misconceptions about him? Well, I think many people think of him primarily as a martial artist when really he was first an actor. Um, and I, uh, I, well, I think one really kind of quirky thing that doesn't mean anything one way or another, but his great grandfather was Jewish. So, oh, really? Yeah. So, and his, and his grandmother was British. Um, and so he had a much more interesting sort of ancestry than we think of when we think of him primarily as this kind of Chinese monk type martial artist um he was a mixture of many things and and that's why once he was asked uh do you think of yourself as american or chinese and he said i just think of myself as a human being because under heaven we're all one family mm. and i i think particularly in the trump era that's a that's a spirit that we should all remember yeah that's great well matthew thanks so much for for coming in today and uh telling us all about bruce lee it was really interesting Thanks and so much. So let me tell our, our audience, do get along to um, the event at the Fringe Club tomorrow at 1.30 and you'll be able to meet Matthew Polly and hear more about Bruce Lee. So, Matthew, thanks again. Thanks so much, Brad.